Kato Fano. Welcome back again to another Department of Conversation. We've been making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. I think actually as I look at Jason, it's number 30. Number 30. Number 30. How about that? Podcast number 30. And uh, today we are talking to comedian Nathan Headley. Nathan Headley is visiting uh, Dunedin from Christchurch to do his new show, which we talked about when we chatted with Nathan. So I'll leave all the details about that to the conversation. But one of the reasons that I was quite interested in having a chat with Nathan is it seems a lot of his comedy is based around his personal journey through mental health. And I thought that just sounded like an interesting conversation to get into, uh, mental health and comedy and the crossover where those are and people telling their personal stories. So there you go, Nathan Headley for you right now uh, on the Department of Conversation. I think we're live, there we go. Nathan Headley, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good, bro. Yeah. What's going on? Um, nothing much. Was that Inchbar last night? That's pretty cool. Yeah, so here in Dunedin, Inchbar, my local. Good site. Good site. Good good gig. Yeah, MC, uh, Harley MC. So I was a bit, I was a little bit rusty, but did pretty well. Yeah. So you are uh, a comedian. That's that's your title. That's what you're doing. That's what you're getting into. But that's not your full time gig. No, I'm a student at the moment. Yeah. So. What are you studying? Uh, mental health and wellbeing. Uh, basically, to study to be a social worker. Cool. Because a lot of your comedy and stuff um, seems to evolve around mental health, mental health issues, questions around that. Is that what drove you towards social welfare? Is it all kind of of the same ilk? Um, yeah, just because uh, like, it was my show, I've met lots of people that work in social work field and in like mental hospitals and stuff. Mm. And also met people that like have got depression and stuff and... You know, like one of my shows, I saw someone was like a mental health guide dog, and I was like, "Fuck, that's cool." A mental health, like a like a what do they call them? Like a companion dog. A yeah, mental health yeah, guide yeah. Dog. So not for the, someone who's blind, but someone who has anxiety, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. I was like, well, they use that for PTSD cool. and stuff. I think a lot in the states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like PTSD dogs and that sort of shit. So I think it's it's pretty common over in the states. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't know they had some in New Zealand day, and I was like, "That's pretty cool," and it kind of just drove me to want to study what I study at the moment. So. You're doing social work. Do you would it be f- fair to assume in social work you have an interest in the area of mental health, or because I mean social work can be it's quite a broad um, sort of a skill set. Do you have somewhere where you want to go? Um, mental health or yeah. working with teenagers, yeah. And is that more from uh, your experience meeting and interacting people, or from your own story? Um, both. Yeah. I think like uh, meeting people, you kind of like, oh, you know, this is a seems like a pretty cool job. And yep. then uh, my own story, like, I really want to help get people through it. You know, don't want to raise the stigma any more than it's already been raised. Yeah. So you're a Taranaki boy. Yeah. But you're living in Christchurch at the moment. Yeah. And you're visiting Dunedin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get around. We got all that covered <laughs> off. And you're down here to do. Do your show, your hour-long show. Yeah. Uh, which is now called... Searching for Happiness. But it used to be called... Uh, a Suicide Option. <laughs> <laughs> what was it called? What? It's Suicide and Option. That was oh, that right. used to be the name of the show. <laughs> yeah. Which, how was that received? Was it people like, hang on, you can't call a comedy show that? Or um, I was worried because like, I did during the some Fringe and I was like, are people going like, to write this in the paper? Like some guy does comedy about suicide and his title's this like... Um, so, so I was like, oh, shit, a bit worried. And then I tried to get one of my friends to go, and one of his friends died of suicide like a month ago or something. And he was like, oh, I don't want to go and see a show. 
Right. Was that title. So I was like, oh, I kind of have to change the name to make it seem a bit more light and fluffy. So <laughs> so it was, there was a risk, there was, some negative response to, I don't want to say negative, it's the wrong word. There was a response by some people which made the title less helpful. Yeah, yeah, especially, and like I didn't really get the crowd numbers I wanted, so I think it's got something to do with the title. And, and has that changed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to get a bit more people to show up to shows and, um, you know, uh, more people are being more receptive about it yeah. and, yeah. So literally, since you've changed, none of the contents changed. No, none of the contents changed. So, do you still talk about suicide in the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the main talks, like because I want to talk about like everything was mental health and yeah. suicide is a big part of it. It's a really interesting. Uh, I follow a lot of comedians. I work with a lot of comedians when I was working in radio in Auckland, um, and I follow a lot of international comedians. And there is a real current uh, topic. I'm in the comedy world about what you can and can't talk about, what you can and can't joke about. Um, so it's fascinating because a lot of people would say, uh, obviously you have a personal experience with the things you talk about. Yeah. We can get into that. But a lot of people would say you can't talk about or joke about suicide or you can't joke about, you know, you know I don't know, um, uh, you, you can't – like a big one is uh, Caitlyn Jenner. You know, you can't take the piss out of Caitlyn Jenner at the moment for some reason. I don't know why. It seems epically doable to take the piss out of her. Um, but you just approach it head on. Do, is there anything you won't touch in your um, comedy? I won't touch the more darker stuff, like the more personal, where I can't make jokes about it. Like, where I would just your like, personal stuff or just stuff that would be very personal? Just stuff that would be very personal. Mm. Like, I don't joke about my brother dying. Um and I don't joke about some of the nightmares I had waking up and when I had depression. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so tell us your story. What? How did this whole journey start for you? Um, and what's the history behind? Obviously, the show where we're searching for happiness now. So, obviously, <laughs> seems like a, a fairly long, maybe slightly tortured story. So, so how did we get here? Um. So, like back when I was a teenager, my brother kind of passed away, and. Uh, I kind of don't really deal with it in a proper manner, if you know what I mean, mm. kind of speaks. Is it okay to ask how he passed away? Asthma attack. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So had, had was it was already a bad asthmatic? Yeah, yeah, real bad. And it was a pretty shit time. Uh, I say, oh, no, not that any good way, <laughs> there's a good way for a, for a kid to die, yeah. <laughs> but something that seems so treatable seems even worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I like how you like quickly saved that, by the way. Oh, good. <laughs> My parents might be listening into this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but you know, there, the, 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 there's, there's, there's lots of, I mean, a, a kid, whatever age, dying is always horrible, but I mean, that's like saying, oh, you know, an asthma attack. My, two of my kids have asthma. Yeah, shit. So, yeah, hits a bit conscious at home. <laughs> so I passed away from an asthma attack. That's, that's terribly sad. Sorry for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I didn't really like take the time to kind of deal with it. And plus, I had lots of other things happening in my life. And How old were you at this time? I was 13. Okay, how old was he? Uh, nine. Okay. Yeah. And uh, fast forward, like, there's a competition in New Zealand comedy thing for newcomers called Raw Comedy Competition. And I've kind of done this, and it was my third time kind of doing the competition at that time. 
and so you were 13 and doing comedy no i was no it was like ages after okay. that it happened because i haven't like from 13 up to 22 i didn't really deal with my brother's death as oh, well right, as i wow. could have okay i saw counselors when i was 13 but i didn't really like kind of deal with it like i just kind of so can you are you able to expand on that at all or is that still something you're working through like when you say you didn't handle it very well what 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 did your life look like um I was just like trying to be a teenager and be like, oh, you know, it happened. Oh, okay. So you're like trying to blow it off. Ah, these yeah. Things happen. Yeah. Like trying to think about it, I guess. And, and you know, like, because you're a male and you're like, oh, I don't really want to cry or don't really want to talk about it. You know? Yeah. Like, because we, like, New Zealand's got that big stigma when you're a man, like, you have to be strong, tough. Yep. And Rugby racing beer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cheers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, you know, I I kind of was like, oh, you know, I was in that mindset at the time and I was like, oh, you know, don't really feel like talking about it. And mm. I'll see counsellors and stuff, but I wouldn't really want to be like, oh, yeah, don't really want to talk about this. Let's talk about something else. And yeah. I spend all the time drawing pictures or something in the counsellor's office. So, um, yeah. So, so it's are you saying that kind of, you know, it was less than a decade, but that decade-ish of your life, you just sort of pushed it down and didn't deal with it? Yeah, and plus I also discovered comedy around that time, and that kind of also helped me. Who'd you discover? Um, so my friend was really big into Fly the Concords, yeah, cool. and Fred Dag, yeah, cool. And those are the first like the shows I watched. Yeah, the front fell off. I know that was one of the saddest things ever when he passed away in the last you know, couple of years. Yeah, I heard Just, about that, and I like cried at the bus stop. Oh, uh, <laughs> I was lucky enough to work with him once. Shit. And um, it wasn't. It was uh, ironically, it was never in person. <laughs> but we did a radio show. We did a radio theater. Yeah. And he was a character on it, and I was another character. So I never got to meet him in face to face. But we did, you know, an hour's worth of work over the phone together, which was kind of cool. Down the phone and recording it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So, so Fred Dag. That's interesting because you know he's seventies, early eighties. So that's interesting to discover him. Yeah, it was because like my parents, uh, dairy farmers, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think Fred Dag kind of resonated with me a little bit because, you know, of his whole uh, gumboots thing and yep. the whole uh, country calendar thing he did. Yep. And that yeah. fantastic speech he did for the uh, the best man speech. <laughs> you know that one? No, I didn't Oh, there's the best one. man speech. It's fantastic. And I had a friend who, uh, you know, when, when he was the best man, he always promised his best mate that he'd do that speech for him. So he didn't actually do anything about the guy or his... Or his bride, he did the Fred Dag best man speech at his wedding. It was fantastic. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Flight so this is Concords. while they were doing their TV show. Or was it more their stage work? Um, I was after the TV show because okay. my friend had the DVDs and we were watching that and um, yeah, it was just pretty cool. And then after Flight of the Concords, I kind of got into Reese Darby and then Natural Progression. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and RJ Barker yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. RJ Barker, cool. yeah, cool. Um, and then, uh, and then from that, uh, laughing Samoans. Oh, the, now are those the the two guys? Yeah, and and the big dude often plays like a little girl character. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah, funny, eh? <laughs> and then Gabriel Iglesias, have you heard of? He's just had a show come out on Netflix just yeah, in the last yeah. couple of days <laughs> called just, Mr. Iglesias or something. Yeah, I watched it like two days. <laughs> I, have, I, I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen his stand-up, but I know who you mean. That's the, the, the fluffy guy, isn't yeah. he? He's always yeah. called him. He just says, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy or something, isn't he? Oh, okay. That's what he says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have the best like, impressions and everything. 
Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So you 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 discovered comedy. Yeah. And there was some people, obviously, like when I discovered comedy, it was Eddie Murphy and Delirious and Raw in the eighties, <laughs> and I watched Delirious. Gosh, I've probably seen, fifty that, times. I've seen that once. I brought the DVD. Yeah. And like, he just spoke way too fast for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was lucky enough to work with some, like in the um, late 90s and stuff, I worked uh, with Jeremy Corbett and Paul Ego and a bunch of these people in and around. And then I did a podcast with Jeremy Elwood. So all these people were, were close. I mean, work colleagues, I'm not, not saying like we are best buds or anything, but yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting group of people. Really interesting dynamic that, and I think that's probably one of the reasons I'm really like I, I watch and listen to a lot of comedy, and I like discovering comedy. The best comedy album I've ever heard. You could maybe find this, Jace. Um, there's an uh, and I don't follow her, or I haven't ever listened to any of her other stuff. There's an artist called Tig Notero. Do you know Tig? Uh, no. She does this stand up routine, and I found it on Spotify purely out of. Um, by accident, I was one of those moments where I was kind of just going through Spotify and going stand-up comedy and then just listening. She does stand-up routine. Um, maybe you could Google something, Jace, like Tig Notaro, and I think it's N-O-T-O-R-O. Yeah, I've got it. Um, I'm, uh, I'm dying of cancer, or I've got cancer. And she starts the show just by going, hey, good to see you, hey, good to see you, I've got cancer, hey, good to see you, I've got cancer. And the story is something like within the last couple of days, yeah. she, she'd be diagnosed with cancer. And you just listen to the very first couple of seconds. Hopefully, it won't get pulled for us. <laughs> we love you, Tig. Hello. Yeah. Good evening. Hello. I have cancer. Yeah, that's how how are start. <laughs> and she was Hi, diagnosed yeah. like within the few days before that gig. And that gig is like, for want of a better word, sort of her coming out and her way of dealing with cancer. And it's the most amazing set. I mean, I don't know where she would rank on, you know, quality of stand-up com- comedians and stuff, but she's known, you know. Yeah. Um, but that set, and it's interesting, you know, I'm talking to you today about mental health and stuff, that was obviously a way for her to get it out there. She'd obviously had this news that she couldn't do anything else with. So the set is about her diagnosis. So obviously it's no preparation. She hasn't gotten written a whole lot of jokes. She just talks for an hour. And it just wraps up so beautifully that she tells this stupid little joke at the end of it and everyone just goes ballistic. And it sounds like there's comedians in the audience as well. At one stage, towards the end, someone yells out, I think it's tell the B joke, and it sounds like Louis C.K.'s voice. And so there might be a bunch of comedians who knew what she was going to do. I don't know. But, yeah, if, if you like comedy, you should look up her and look up Hello, I Have Cancer and just listen to that. Ooh, if you yeah. like even, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but people dealing with their own issues – people finding a place for outlet if you don't like comedy but you like hearing how people go through something personally it's it is the most amazing set yeah and yeah. it wasn't and that's why there's no imagery for it it's not like they filmed it or you know most comedy clubs these days just record what's what's there yeah basically and yeah. that's what it was and i think after that i think louis ck who apparently is a bad name to say these days I know, um <laughs> then maybe helped her turn it into something afterwards 
because yeah, it was amazing. saying here in this article that yeah, he was at the oh, he was there, was he? And he was the one who convinced her to release the recording afterwards. Um, yeah, basically because she had been diagnosed. Was it diagnosed four days beforehand? Yeah, there you go. And I like her photo, yeah. by the way, the like album cover she had. Yeah, it's funny, eh? <laughs> um, I mean, so I mean, I'm obviously not to be, get personal, but you imagine someone going through the imagine a brother passing away, yeah, and four days later, then working it out on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you kind of think about it and go, oh, my goodness. Imagine a marriage breaking down and four days later working out on stage. Imagine, you know, whatever it is, that's what that but is. The funniest thing that's like happened was my depression, like, you know, like how I dealt with it because, like, you know, uh, I was in a very bad place after doing the raw competition because I didn't make it through. And I was like, oh, comedy sucks. And <laughs> I did this whole origami bit where I was like, oh, yeah, fake origami. And then. I kind of did that and like, I did a show during this thing called Christchurch Comedy Carnival and I just hated myself and hated comedy and thought I was, you know, I was doing something that I like, enjoyed but at the same time I didn't feel welcomed and I didn't feel... Didn't feel part of the community? Yeah, yeah. And just didn't feel like I belonged there anymore because you know, i you know done this raw. And, and so this is, just to check, this is like 20-ish, are we talking? 22. Okay, so this is nine, less oh, than 21, a 21. Okay, 21, so seven or eight years after your brother's passed, this is where you're starting to find comedy and come out of it and find a way to work out, work through what your brother, what happened? Yeah, and because I just started like, and I just started sleeping lots and, and I told people and they're like, oh, I think I got depression and I kind of got back from Auckland. I was, saw a counsellor before I went to Auckland, went to Auckland for like a family holiday. Yeah. Did a gig there, got lots of laughs to origami, but came back and kind of just had a mental breakdown and went and saw a doctor and was like, hey, look, I'm you know, dealing with this. And he's like, sounds like got depression. And I was like, shit, okay. And then I kind of like took a break from comedy for a week, try and process it. And then uh, kind of a week later, kind of like went to watch comedy and wanted to produce that time. Like, oh, did you want a spot? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I got a spot and... I told a joke, which I tell at the start of my show, about how I went to the doctors and mm. they died of depression and they got a massive pop. And then a comedian who's like really respected in the Christchurch called Justin Rusty White um, kind of said something on Facebook about me the next day. And I was like, you know, it's just so, like, I just felt so welcomed. And so when you said it, like the, the bit about <laughs> depression getting diagnosed, was that you? doing a bit or were you just riffing off something that had just happened um i just thought of, like i thought about it that week and i was like you know that's actually a little bit funny and yeah. i just got a lot of laughs and you know everyone was like that's pretty cool and like i just felt like i yeah i just felt like i found my niche then and um and during that time i also discovered a comedian called chris gifford mm. um and he's got a whole show called career suicide and like I was just searching up comedians with depression, and he kind of popped up, and like his show is just all about depression and his suicidal thoughts and everything, and it kind of inspired me to like do that bit as well. Yeah. So you've you've been diagnosed as depressed, having depression. Yeah, severe depression. Yeah. Severe depression. Yeah. So what does that mean? How does how does one function on a daily basis, or the case may be not function, when one's se- severely depressed? Um, you just sleep lots, play PlayStation games. <laughs> yeah, like I tried to eat healthy and stuff around that time because the dog was like, oh, you tried eating healthy and then it kind of just didn't really work out. And you just feel a bit like, 
you know, just lay down and do anything. I yeah. still went to work and stuff and, uh, you know, didn't really enjoy it and, you know, just felt a bit lost and, yeah. And so you were medicated then at the time? Yeah, I was medicated. And the meds kind of made me feel worse and I talk about this in my show as well and I, like, ended up going to Hillmorton to get meds changed and getting sleeping pills to help me sleep and it kind of, like, went from feeling real bad to feeling starting my life kind of switched around and uh yeah well meaning the meds really helped is that what you're saying yeah yeah and now they're raw again and they don't really make it through and then i was like oh yeah it's all right and that was my last chance to do raw and i was 22 23 mm-hmm. and then i did now some fringe and was the suicide option and got nominated for uh best newcomer comedian best wow. newcomer yeah and and that's when I knew, like, this is pretty cool. And, yeah, it had really good reviews as well. And I was like, this is, yeah, like, I just fell on top of the world and just wanted to carry on making a show. So your comedy, is it um, very, is it self-referential? Does it talk, your, you don't go out and go, oh, so who does he, it's Donald Trump. You know, it's more like your life, your story, your perspective. Yeah, I take people on the journey. Yeah. So is that, so where's the line between kind of comedian and storyteller? Um... Is there one? No, not really. Like, I think if you're a storyteller, you can be a comedian as well. Like, So guys like Jimmy Carr and that who do the kind of set-up punchline, set-up punchline, set-up punchline, and then there's guys like the, I don't know, Jim Jeffries does a 25-minute story. You know, and it may not be his life, but it's a formed story. Yeah. You're certainly the long form. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be a terrible guest on a show, a television <laughs> show, where they say, you've got three and a half minutes. <laughs> no, Black, <laughs> I've got that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I got two motel two in the joint. Okay, <laughs> yeah. fine. So that could work for yeah. you as well. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so, 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 how old are you now? I'm twenty three. Oh, so we're talking in the last eighteen months, two years. Yeah, yeah. So, how's life at the moment? Oh, pretty good in the moment. Yeah, yeah. I've done well. Um, yeah, I, was, I got depressed to came to Auckland. That's pretty fun. <laughs> what to leave? I did Auckland Fringe and. I like the five o'clock time slot. And yeah. I thought it would be a good time slot and be like, oh, that's pretty shit. And I was like, oh, I'll try and prove you wrong. And then, like, had like fucking four people the first day. Oh, no. <laughs> they weren't paying customers as well. And oh, like, no. Oh. And the next day, I had two people. And then last day, I had seven. So I was like, oh, that's a bit better. And <laughs> <laughs> you kind of like, at that stage, just like, I want to quit. Like, you just, just want to go home, not think about it anymore. So is that something that resides in you? The you know that's being. I mean, if you get given a shit time slot, and get shit audiences because of a shit time slot, but that's still something that weighs on you. Like you blame yourself for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I blamed myself for a little bit and just felt real, a little bit shit on and just didn't real feel like oh yeah my show sucks and then I dated a fringe and. I was worried, worried about that, and I was like, oh, I've got the Vanita Fringe coming up, and you know, I'm doing a Koha show, and yeah, I'm like, I'm probably going to get shit audiences. I had a bit of time slot. I'd still like two, I had like the five, two five o'clock time slots, mm. and they did all right. Oh, was, well, no, six o'clock, sorry. And uh, the I, first day I got like 10 people in, and yeah. I wonder if just, you know, par for the course in Auckland, if you've got a five o'clock time slot, people are only just walking out of their offices. Whereas if you've got like a five o'clock, 
time slot in Dunedin, people are already basically home from their offices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So probably a six o'clock time slot is Auckland. In Auckland is equivalent of a five o'clock time slot in Dunedin or something. <laughs> basically. I don't know, to try and get there. <laughs> and plus the traffic as well, like, yeah, yeah. like traffic, time and... Dunedin's like uh, you don't see much traffic in Dunedin, so yeah. If you wanted to get to the show at five o'clock, you'd leave your house at like five five to five. Yeah, <laughs> slight exaggeration. If, but if you wanted to get there, you know, if, if you wanted to get to a seven o'clock show in Auckland, you'd leave at five to five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's interesting that you're still. So would you still be diagnosed as being in a state of depression now, or how does it work? How does it work? where you're at. And I want to talk to you about this personally as well because I've been through some mental health issues in the last couple of years, you know, due to a marriage breakup and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, nothing like, you know, what would be described as serious, but, you know, some some stuff. So for you personally, how how is how do you diagnose yourself? Like, you know, alcoholics says, I'm an alcoholic even 20 years later. How, how, how are you? If you were, someone was to ask you about your mental health, what would you be saying for today? Um, I think I still got depressed, severe depression and like mild anxiety and everything. Um, but I think it's how you deal with it and how you kind of like cope with it. Like I like I know if my depression is picking up, I know how to deal with it and always make an effort every day to either leave the house or yeah. go out and try and have fun. Because I find like if you're stuck at home, you kind of you feel that way. Yeah. Like you can't get into that slum where you're like, oh, I feel depressed and never done anything. So, and you're still medicated, still taking meds. Yeah, yeah. And that works for you. That's that kind of takes that edge off to to help you get outside. Yeah, yeah. Especially like uh, sometimes, like I go on and off the meds, but sometimes I feel like I can, yeah. You know, like if I feel a bit bad or something's coming up, or I feel depressed about or I feel anxious, I can always take them. And, and what about the um, you know, is suicide an option? Part of the uh, the storyline that you told. How did that pan out for you? Um, it was kind of like, it was real funny because I was talking to a friend about this uh, last month when I did my show in the flat to like try and rewrite it and everything. Right. Um, and it was after the show, and my friend turned around and he was like, Oh, like, do you ever like get those thoughts when you're like, Oh, yeah, feeling suicidal? And suddenly you see something, we're like, Oh, I'm no longer feeling suicidal anymore. You know, like you see, like this thing for like Big Mac was bacon. Like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> <laughs> Who could feel suicidal when there's a Big Mac with bacon? <laughs> double downs are back. Like, I'm not, not going anywhere until I had double downs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that you, that can snap you out of it that quickly. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, you know, we're not feeling suicidal at the time though. Like, when I was feeling real bad. Like, I can't really snap, snap it out. But then. You can start thinking about like family and everything, and you know, at the time you feel sad, but then you're like, oh, I got family and I got friends that. So, is there a difference in your opinion? This is not necessarily about you, but just about the depression, you know, suicidal part of life. Is there a difference between feeling sad, as you've just said, I can feel sad, or being depressed? I mean, everyone feels sad. What's the step to go towards depression and suicidal ideation, sort of thing? I think there's something inside you, like, because, like, I think, I don't know how to say this, but, like, like I think you, people feel sad for, like, you know, a period, and then depression, you feel sad, mopey, droopy, you know, just don't feel like doing anything, and, you know. Do you think that sadness is something that 
maybe we have, con- you know, like you say, a double down might take you out of your sadness. Yeah. But depression is more of a, you know, something that needs to be chemically righted almost. Yeah, I think it's very... Maybe a double down can chemically write that as well, mate. <laughs> double down on a Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that can also help as well. Um, yeah, like I think like, you know, depression and stuff, like sadness is very different. Yeah. And I think depression is more chemically imbalanced. Um, definitely, like, plus they don't like working towards everything, like, research and shit apparently and like I, like I felt different being depressed than I did feeling sad yeah but I think sad and grief like and all that stuff like definitely leads into depression you know especially if we don't deal with it like you know like, like how long you know because you know especially with males and stuff like if you don't deal with it you don't talk to someone at that time then you kind of like you still have that feeling of sadness and guilt and grief linger over you a little bit I think if you know what I mean and I think that's what depression is kind of like and saying that as well we might have just given KFC a new advertising campaign <laughs> yeah. how you to know? cure depression yeah. double down double down <laughs> double down your depression away <laughs> that'd be perfect absolutely perfect uh, so if you personally um, look I mean I know that I'm, I'm treading on potentially for some people thin ice here so obviously anything that you don't want to answer don't answer or whatever but the suicidal thoughts, was there, was there ever ideations? Was it ever enacted for you? Or was it just these kind of weird thoughts in the back of your brain? Um, uh, like I did attempt it twice. Wow. But, uh, I was talking about my show. Uh, like I self-harmed and then uh, and then I tried like, like stay on the road. <laughs> but like, and then you kind of like switch into that mindful where like, oh, you've got family, friends and whole bunch of other stuff and mm-hmm. yeah and family and friends are one of the things that pull you out yeah like I think like if are they in Christchurch as well like up in Taranaki no so like some of my family and friends everywhere like I got like comedy friends and yeah. stuff during Christchurch and Dunedin and everywhere and then I got like all my family's in Taranaki I got some yeah. family in Christchurch and Dunedin as well nice yeah, I think. Like, while, while you're in Dunedin, has uh, I noticed on Facebook that you're friends with Tom? Um, has he got you? Is he making you get to, uh, eat some plants on his comedians <laughs> eating plants show? <laughs> he is actually it? took photos of me when I first did my show here. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I want to do that. I want to do that. I've been eating the plant before. There you go, so. Tom. If you're listening or watching, you should you should get him in to eat, eat some plants. Yeah. <laughs> It's just it's a, it's a friend of uh, a mutual friend of ours who's got a, a video show that he's doing on Facebook called uh, Comedians Eating Plants because he's a he's a vegan um, and so he gets his <sighs> non, he gets he gets his non vegan mates to come in and he, he feeds them a feeds them a meal of vegan food at some vegan restaurant in Dunedin and oh they, cool and basically they just chat so it's kind of like. It's yeah. kind of like comedians in cars getting coffee, but as a vegan, <laughs> and it's not Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Can and just, and comedians in restaurants eating a, vegan. Yeah. <laughs> and he pays for the food. Yeah. And he yeah. pays for the food, yeah. More power to him. They did Hell's Pizza once. I remember that. That's pretty. Can yeah, you do vegan thing. Hell's Pizza? Yeah, yeah they do. We just vegan. had this conversation a couple of weeks ago about what vegans should and shouldn't be allowed to do. And I got some hate for it on our Facebook page, but I stand by the effect that if you're a vegan <laughs> and you're rejecting meat, for whatever reason, I'm fine with that. But then to say, now can you make me a plant supplement? that looks like meat, smells like meat, and tastes like meat, and so I can put it between two burger buns, I just think that should be illegal. <laughs> if you're rejected meat, then you shouldn't be – although in saying that, I am also don't have any problem at all with meat replacement, you know, like plant-based meat replacements, but for someone to reject meat 
and then say, "Now give me something that tastes exactly like me." It's like, no, you don't. You don't get. To, you don't get to have that. You're not allowed it. Sorry. Well, this, this is what we were talking about just before we came. Oh yeah, here, check this like, out. Hell that Pizza. Um, Hell Pizza released a what was it? What, they released a, a, a burger pizza. Yeah, what is it? I'm just bringing it up for our viewers. A burger pizza, uh, and they they were out. It was out for a week, and then they they released this week that um, it was actually entirely plant based. Um, so they worded it carefully: medium rare burger patty. They didn't say meat. But, uh, yeah, apparently people are like, or something. I think that's interesting because imagine if someone did the reverse. Imagine if someone someone gave you some (laughs) cucumber and then after it they went, ha-ha, it was really made of meat. There'd be an uproar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But but I don't think it's like. (laughs) It was actually a pork sausage. (laughs) We painted (laughs) To be fair, if you can't tell the difference between pork sausage and a cucumber, maybe you shouldn't be a vegan. No, but look, show us that photo again. Can you tell the difference between a meat product and that burger patty? Um, Yeah, see? I don't know. Someone out there. Looks like beans, to be honest. Beans. Well, I, like I say again. I mean, not that this is a part of the history of the conversation. I don't. I think. I think that. I think that. <laughs> I think that vegetable vegetable replacement meat products is a great idea. It'd be good for the environment and everything. But people who reject meat shouldn't get to eat stuff that tastes like meat. Fuck off. <laughs> we were from depression talking about plants. I love it. I <laughs> uh, just yeah, derailed the conversation with mutual friends. There you go. No, that's cool. I mean, there's lots of things to derail the conversation about. So, for example, did you? See last night that the New Zealand men's netball team yeah. beat the New Zealand women's netball team. Shit. No, it didn't. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Shit. Because the New Zealand men's netball team, do you know netball at all very well? Yeah, I know a little bit about it. So you know the goal shoot, goal shoot, goal attack of the people yeah. who shoot for goal. Yeah. The New Zealand men's netball team has a goal shoot who's seven foot two. <laughs> and That's they, a bit unfair, love. Well, but this is the thing. It's really interesting. Eh? I was I was talking to my daughters about it because we were watching one of my daughters plays netball, uh, and we were watching it last night. And it's like you can't. She was like, you just can't compete with boys. And maybe it's my naivety. There he is, Junius. Oh no, no, that's not him. That's uh, that's that's the captain. Um, that's the guy there with the moustache, Junior. Someone, Junior Levy. Yeah, seven foot two. And you know that the girls in the netball team are large girls, as in tall. Yeah. And I was looking at them thinking, oh, all those girls are about six foot, so that means he's about six foot six, which is pretty big for a bloke. But then I went and looked it up, and he's seven foot two, and it actually means because all the girls are like six three who play around, you know, goal shoot, goal defence. So they're massive, and honestly, they look they look like children playing next to an adult. He was he's like a gorilla. He should be playing basketball. Well, they probably do. But it was interesting. Then I had this conversation with my daughters, and we ended up um, chatting about dominance of men. You know, there's a lot in society today who says, you know, men and women are the same, biologically we're the same, you know. And, and actually, I I thought that the women, and maybe this is my naivety, that the women netball team would have beaten the men's netball team because they're professionals, they play all the time, you know, they're world champions. They're, but actually, the, the physical dominance of a male figure is still enough to overpower, you know, the best women athletes in the world. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, I say my naivety, fine, but, but it's saying, crazy. Saying that I'm, I'm certainly not going to be able to, um, to, to take on a, a, a female athlete sprinter. Um, yeah, but, 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 but probably, but probably, but probably the fastest New Zealand female sprinter in New Zealand could get beaten by the fiftieth fastest male sprinter. 
They say that Serena Williams, maybe you can look this up, Serena Williams, greatest netball player of all times yeah. ever in the history of the game. If you lined up all the professional tennis players there's ever been, I think, and this is what we want to check because I don't want to be to do a disservice, I think that they said she'd come in about number 1,500. Shit. Greatest female tennis player there has ever been. And I think they say that basically if you're in the, the men's game in the top 500, you can beat, you, you, they'd beat the greatest female player ever. Uh, so this is the wrong, wrong article I was just bringing up, so I'll keep looking. So... Um, it's, it was really interesting because you have to think, and this is no disrespect to those men playing netball because they're athletes, yeah. there's no question, but you think the best ball handlers, is that the right word? The, the the thing about male athletes in New Zealand, the ones who are the most skilled with small ball games, you know, rugby, basketball, volleyball even, yeah. games that could go to the Olympics or be professional, they're all going to take off the best of those people yeah. Which means these guys in the netball team aren't going to be the the pinnacle athletes in, in men's sport. No. And so that means even some, and I'm being really careful here because look at me, I'm not, I'm the last person to criticise <laughs> someone of their athletic prowess, but just literally, they're not going to be, you know, the, they're not going to be the best shooter in the country. That person's yeah. going to be playing basketball. That's Stephen Adams or someone playing basketball for the NBA. Yeah. You know, and they still beat them. I'm, I'm just so surprised. And, 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 because I really like those kinds of conversations, I'm f- I'm fascinated what that what where that conversation could go, because there is a narrative at the moment that men and women are the same, even biologically we're the same. That's a narrative at the moment that you know a male uh, a male to female transgender athlete can compete against biological women and there's no difference. And I said to my daughter yesterday, oh, my daughter said it to me actually, she said, oh, that's that transgender thing. And I said, yeah, because well, that dude who's seven foot two, if he transitioned to a female, would still be seven foot two. Yeah, fact, yeah. He's he not going to take on a petite female form. No, he's not. So, yeah, anyway, that's a bit of a byproduct. That's a sideways yeah. look. I agree, though. Like, I think I think our physical makeup's different. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's just a very interesting narrative at the moment out there that people say we're the same because we're clearly not. I mean, we looked it up last night, me and, me and my daughters, like the tallest woman in the world. Tallest woman in the world at the moment, according to the records, is seven foot eight. So it is a big girl. But, you know, I can probably name 10 to 15 men who are well over seven foot because I follow basketball. I don't even know the name of the seven foot eight woman. Pardon me. <laughs> but if you do hear anything in the background, there is some construction going on up here as well. So that's it. Bastards. <laughs> what yeah. about what about yourself when it comes uh, when it when it comes to sports and stuff? Do you follow anything? You're a rugby guy. Yeah, rugby. So yeah. so being from Taranaki, living in Christchurch, have you turned to the dark side and followed the Crusaders? No, no, no. no Hurricanes so, fan. Okay, so this weekend. Yeah, go Hurricanes, man. Yeah, Bowden Barrett all the way. Yeah, Barrett, Barrett, Barrett. So your heart saying go Hurricanes. What's your head telling you? Uh, I think Hurricanes might win it. You reckon? Yeah, they're a pretty good squad at the moment. They are, but you know, I thought that the Highlanders, um, I thought the Highlanders had a chance last weekend against against the Crusaders. I know most people will scoff at that and go, "Well, of course they win the greatest." And yeah, but I actually think. I think they did themselves a disservice. I think Liam Squire getting sent off really didn't help. But I really believed that there was a good chance for the Highlanders to knock them off last week. Didn't happen. Hurricanes will be a... 
that's obviously an upset. I'm still pissed off at the Super Rugby the way they do it though. You know, yeah. le- letting in all those competition, you know, people who haven't performed as well, letting them in. Because Hurricanes should be second on the table. Yeah. Really, but. Which means they should they should be facing the Crusaders in the final following form. Yeah. But they get one of them will get knocked out either the top team or the second team yeah. a week early. Exactly. Which is kinda of sad. And then just Jagger Jagger was gonna go and play um Whatever other Australian team. I love that you call them the Jaguars. Because yeah. I don't get this the Aguaris because they're the Jaguars. We're we're an English, primarily English well, we're an English speaking country. We're a bilingual country, obviously. Yeah. We're actually a trilingual if you include New Zealand sign language. Three official languages. But when you're listening or watching rugby, yeah. place names are said in English. Mm-hmm. You know, you say France. Playing France, I'm not even sure how you pronounce. What was the French word for France? Is there a French uh, word for France? Francais. No, Francais? That's, that's when you're speaking about the language. Uh, Maybe it's just France, but you know uh, what I mean. We yeah. don't, we don't, we don't use their native language no. to describe the teams or places. Exactly. We say we're playing in Paris. We don't say we're playing in Paris. You <laughs> know. So they're the Jaguars. That frustrates me when I hear announcers like that. Aguari. It's like, no, the Jaguars. That's the Jaguars. Say again? How you know, how would I, how would you pronounce, you know, the other teams if you pronounce them like that? I don't know. Well also they'd probably <laughs> on my job, I was gonna say the Springboks probably call themselves a Springboks, but there's probably a South African word for a Springbok. Probably. So but they call themselves a Springbok, so Yeah. Well, I was gonna say oh well, who do you think's better? Bowden Barrett or Richie Moonga? Oh Barrett. Barrett? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no question. But the thing with Bowden Barrett, after he made the All Blacks, I mean, it was great. I remember when, um, what's the boy from Waikato called? Who uh, was in before him? Stephen Donald? No, no, no. Oh, he, Aaron Cruden? Yeah, Cruden was in. And they kept on bringing on Bowden Barrett for the last 20, and Bowden Barrett seemed to win the games with him. You know, I was saying, well, you know, at, at some stage, this person who was obviously the best player on the field should probably be starting and then he started and then hasn't looked back since since he got that starting position his form in super rugby hasn't been anywhere near as good as his form in all black rugby no um but that's because like i think it's also with the forward pack and yeah the squad like the hurricanes don't have really the greatest forward pack and the crusaders have like all the all blacks in their forward pack what do you think about there is um a little bit of uh what do you call it rumor what? niggle Around that, Auckland's going to try and get Bowden Barrett first five. I don't think it'll happen. You don't? No. Why not? Someone, someone gave you a big fat check and said, come on up. I used to say this when I worked in radio. There was, um, it was what happened with the America's Cup and when the guys when I left 10 years and went across for Oracle. Yeah. I'm like, dude, they went from earning, you know, good money, $200,000 to like $10 million. And I was like, I, I would this radio station which I love yeah. if the opposition offered me 10 times the wage I would be gone in a heartbeat <laughs> no matter how much I love the station and how much I'm grateful to the breaks and all that kind of stuff if the opposition offered me 10 times the money you wouldn't see me for moving <laughs> yeah, so fast somebody, across if somebody came in and said hey, I want to do a live stream video podcast I'm Jason come leave Pat and come work for me and I'll offer you 10 times as much I'd be gone in a heartbeat too well, well, you, 10 times zero is not very much though. Yeah, that, that's the joke <laughs> 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 still coming looking for those if you're if you're a sponsor out there we're still looking we're still looking <laughs> um, the other thing I want to talk to you about is comedy in this day and age 
Now, you're fair, fair to say that you're fairly new to the comedy scene. Um, yeah, I've been doing it for like four years. So yeah. So what do you want to? What do you want to do? Is it, do you want this to be in an ideal world your full time gig? Yeah, well, absolutely. And I was interested. There's a couple of uh, Instagram accounts we brought up. One, an Australian comedian called Celeste Barber. Um, she is hilarious, and um, her thing at the moment is going and doing um, like posing, copying posing, and doing all that sort of thing. Um, I put like the one in the middle with the t-shirts. That's um, particularly offensive. Um, actually, she, I, you know, I think she is a, a stand-up comedian, but she's certainly got a comedy angle to her, whether she's an actress or not. Um, but what people are doing with their comedy in this day and age to um, kind of show their wares. And <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, their underwears. Um, and now with technology in this day and age, we're able to. Um, why don't you try and find a video of hers as well, just to show, just to, to show the peeps what peeps she's doing. Home. If people are listening, a Celeste Barber, um, you can find her on Instagram. You show this one. So she goes, <laughs> she copies, you know, what Instagram models and actresses and stuff are doing. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> but if you look at her Instagram feed. All that's on the Instagram feed is this, is comedy. So this is basically her television station. This is her outlet, you know. Um, the same as Kyle Dunnigan, who's an American. Um, do you know Kyle Dunnigan? No. He uses face swap. It's fucking hilarious, man. He does a really good Trump, and he does a really good Caitlin, um, what's her surname? Gina? I was going to say Bennett. Who's Caitlin Bennett? <laughs> We're know. talking about Bowdoin and Barrett and then they're going to be- that's so pretty good. He does a face swap hey, thing. Hey, Elon, I wanted you to meet Kylie because you both have a lot in common. <laughs> so You're both billionaires. Yeah. Oh, epic. <laughs> so he does hey, them all. Kylie, how'd you become a billionaire? Don't blow this Kylie. I'm trying to fuck this guy. <laughs> but the same with his. His whole Instagram feed, you know, you don't find any photos of the meal he had last night <laughs> or of what he's doing on a Sunday afternoon with his kids or anything. It's just comedy. And it's all, oh, it's not all face swap. Like he does, he does some other things. Oh, there's Arnold and he does a very good, he should show a bit of Trump to show his voice for Trump. I think it's fantastic that you saved the Special Olympics. Yeah, all right, terrific. Yeah, yeah. And now all these kids can be running and jumping and all of these things. Yeah, and Trump didn't say the R word one time. <laughs> Such a terrible word. Trump would never say someone is. Start it again. Restart it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, you're new. You're newish into yeah. the game. I mean, you're also coming in a really exciting time where you know, comedi- comedians are basically going, "I'll do it my way." Yeah. Technology in the day and age allows me to. You know, you look at look at the way it was okay. happening, even in New Zealand, like things like Seven Days, amazing program. Oh, heck yeah. But you know, it's probably a ten million dollar budget. <laughs> he makes those. Kyle Dunnigan, and I'm sure Celeste is the same, makes those in his house, films them himself, scripts them himself, and they get 300,000 views. It's just a really interesting time to to be in a creative medium. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's pretty good. Like, there's YouTube now. Like, I think back in, like, Ben Hurley's days and all the other people's days, like, those things went around. So, like, they kind of had to, like, word of mouth, I guess. Or TV. Yeah, yeah. People, re- people relied on sort of old media, mainstream media. 
radio. So that guy there, Cole Dunnigan, he had 40,000 followers on Instagram, which you seem, seems like a lot to us yeah. in New Zealand, right? That's yeah. a, that would be a big audience in New Zealand. But in America, that's like tiny. Yeah, that's like tiny. But what happened was he got discovered by a couple of other comedians, um, I think, Maybe Tom Zagura or Bert Kreischer, one of those guys. Sort of, when I say discovered, that's patronising. They liked him and they started sending his stuff out. And then he got on the Joe Rogan podcast, and now he's got five hundred and fifty thousand followers. So you know, it's like he got to do it himself, and he does comedy his way, and he's got no one to answer to. And it just seems like a lovely. Mo- if you can monetize it. Not to be too, you know, blimmin' capitalistic, but if you can monetize it, you've got to pay the bills. It seems to be a, a really interesting time to live. Yeah, yeah. He's probably got sponsors now as well. I guess so, yeah. But also what that then does is gives him an audience. Yeah. And then he sells out the clubs because he's got an audience coming. I heard, who did I hear the other day? I was, I was listening to a podcast. It might have been, your, I think it's called Your Mom's House. Um, and they were talking about... They don't go and do breakfast radio anymore. How comedians hate doing breakfast radio because you've got to get up early, you go in, and the radio person brings you in and gives you four minutes. And then, because what they do now is they just go to their Instagram and they go, Hey, you know, location X, I'm in town, and the location sells out. <laughs> Basically, that's yeah. what happens, yeah, yeah. Nowadays. So, you're delving into stand up. Are you looking at doing anything else? You got any other kind of creative things going on at the moment? Yeah, I'm like start doing that on Instagram. <laughs> like, I want to, I'm because I want to like do Instagram a bit more. I yep. think that's a pretty popular media at the time. Um, I thought about doing stuff on YouTube, but to me, YouTube is like when there's dying media, like it's still popular, but at the same time, like. It's really hard to get cut through. Yeah, yeah. to get noticed no. on Instagram is a lot easier because there's, there's, they don't, yeah, they don't seem to game their algorithms as much. You know, if people like it, it shows up in other people's things. One of the um, things that's happening in YouTube at the moment, and we we are on YouTube, but we don't publicise that very much. We kind of use it as a storage space. Yeah. So if you go to YouTube now, you can find us. But some of our videos there have got single-figure views because well, most of the 40, people... 45 followers on YouTube, I think. Some, yeah. most of our people, well, 99% of the people who watch what we do watch us on Facebook, and that's where we kind of focus it. One of the things that's happening on YouTube, and it's publicised, is that since Russiagate happened, the algorithms are changing in YouTube to favour... Like, I guess, would we be considered a source of news? We probably would, wouldn't we? Uh, we'd probably uh, come under that. Maybe? We'd probably come under that. Either news or entertainment. Opinion piece Info- kind of yeah. thing. Infotainment. <laughs> Infotainment. Yeah, yeah. And and they've made it very clear since the last US election that they're going to, um, you know, if you are an accredited news source, if you're a quote unquote trusted news source, you go to the top of the algorithm. So actually, what's happening is all the independents out there are starting to see drop off of viewership. The big guys. And all the places like the CNNs and the Fox and the MSNBCs and the you know yeah. the Breitbart's and all that kind of stuff, they're starting to see a pickup because they're deemed trusted. So it's interesting that, that this actual um, social media, sorry, this digital age we live in, is starting to turn and go back to trusting old media. There's a strange, strange thing going on at the moment. Yeah. There's also like a thing also was YouTube. There's also like. A lot of YouTubers are moving to like live streaming like on Twitch yep. and stuff. And yep. Yeah. So. Well, Facebook also is the same. There's some interesting things with Facebook. We've had a few things taken down off Facebook that we've put up there. 
um, saying things like, Jace, help me with this. They've been saying things like, um, we think that yours is either political or social commentary or something else like that. Yeah, well, we had we had one of the clips the, um, with Christian Piccolini, um, Piccolini. Uh, well, we had one of the ones from the vegan guys not be able to be boosted. Yeah, yeah like from the ve- we're talking vegan, vegan yeah. stuff, and they wouldn't put it up because of the social commentary. Yeah, well, one that one the one video I think that was the worst one was the fact that we were talking about why, like, basically trying to debunk some of the myths about what white supremacists believe. <laughs> Yeah, and, and they wouldn't let it up. They're like saying, this is promoting extremist views. And it's like, no, this is debunking, debunking extremist, extremist views. views. So the algorithms are not are not helping. And now on Facebook, you have to go in and be like an authorised, trusted source. And so we're like, okay, well, we, you know, we, you know, next year is the elections. Yeah. Both of them, there's New Zealand and US. We need to be a trusted source so we can put our clips up. So you're going to put it up and you click on New Zealand and the button's greyed out. So you can't actually then do the process to be a trusted source in New Zealand. So they're saying, we're not going to put this source up. If you're talking about politics, you need to be a trusted source. Go here to be a trusted source. This is Facebook. Yeah. We go there, and then they won't let us be a trusted source. You're a fake news. Fake news. <laughs> fake. Uh, you are fake news. Yeah, you're fake, you're fake news. But, so, uh, if you're talking about getting on Instagram yourself and doing that kind of thing, are you, you know, do you have anything planned, or are you just, is that an area you're going to start to delve into? I think it's an area I'm going to start to delve, delve into. Also, felt thought about doing podcasts, but and you know, like I think I think podcasts are good, but at the same time, like you need all this technology. Like your podcasts, like I've seen some of them; they're real amazing and they're real high quality. Oh, bless! <laughs> Thank oh, you. shucks, we'll have you back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the checks in the mail. <laughs> at the same time, though, you, you can if you don't do if you don't do video and you don't do live stream, which is the two harder parts. Um, you just need a phone, really, and a couple of. Mm. Uh, $20 microphones from Trade Me or eBay and away you go. The best podcast, the best content, whatever it is in the world, the the audio and video quality of it doesn't matter. I would much rather watch the best movie there was in, you know, 480p or yeah. SD or, you know, whatever, black and white, than the most amazing 4K pile of shit with no storyline this thing like our video like the know, room the room yeah no no that was fantastic I like that the room was awesome <laughs> but like objectively our video quality is 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 a lot better than even Joe Rogan and uh, I would give up our video quality in a heartbeat to have a sacrilege numbers, you know yeah. Of course, yeah. Of course, my favorite podcast at the moment uh, is comedian talk, something like that. I'm trying to think, of it. it's like comedians, comedian, comedians, comedian podcast, right? Um, and like lots of comedians have been on there. I'm trying to think, it's, it's is that New Zealand one? The, is that the one they've done? Tim Bat did, or is that no? It's on Spotify. It's oh, like okay. done by a mirror US uh, UK not, comedian. We're not here to promote other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> going to bring it up on <laughs> I refuse to bring it up what, I, what's this there's other podcasts do you know oh. what I what I often do is I often I often look for guests rather than the hosts sure. um, so there's a, a really interesting woman at the moment Dr. Deborah So and she's a she was a university lecturer you know she's a scientist she's a everything yeah Hot as all hell. Um, you should bring up Dr. Deborah So S O H, and she's a neuroscientist, and she's doing some really interesting stuff at the moment, and talking about some really interesting things. Quite, quite controversial. Not because she's controversial, 
not in other words because she's trying to be, but some of the things she's saying. So I've I'd love I've already messaged their Facebook page saying, can we please do a podcast at some stage? I would love to talk to her. So if I hear she's on anything, I'll listen to it. You know, I I, I like um, Tom Segura. I really like Tom Segura's comedy. If I hear he's on anything, I'll I'll listen to it. Uh, you know, um, but then I've got my store warts over there. I listen to WTF and I listen to Rogan. I listen to your mom's house and I actually, she's got a podcast as well. I can't remember what it's called, but they, it's more scientific and more sort of research. You know, I listen to that as well. Okay. And then I've got a bunch of others. I listen to Leighton Smith's one occasionally. Um, I listen to Media Watch and RNZ as well. But most of my input is from offshore, really. That's pretty cool. So mm. I really listen to Tim Bat's podcast. There's one that were a bunch of comedians that used to do it in Auckland. They had a yellow page. I can't remember the name of it. And it had like five comedians on it, young guys before they broke through. Um, and I did listen to that for a long time. I wonder if I can. Oh, Deborah Sose is called Wrong Speak. Um, there was a New Zealand one that I did listen to. I can't remember what it's called though. No, it's not coming out of here. Um, yeah. I've got Louis C.K.'s one in here. Is that, does that mean I'm a terrible, terrible person? I don't think so. Uh, Was he really done though? Like, what, well, what do you think of all of that? There's a lot of comedians getting a lot of flack over the last twelve months for things that they've done. I mean, like, okay, let's be very careful here. Some comedians, like Bill Cosby, an appropriate amount of flack has been thrown their way. But other things with the whole Me Too movement and with where society is at the moment, saying you can't talk about this kind of stuff, you can't joke about that. Like Ricky Gervais was an interesting one. He made a joke about Caitlyn Jenner, um, and the joke was about her being a terrible driver because she's a woman. So he was playing on a sexist stereotype of women, but people attacked him for it because you don't make fun of transgender people. So it was an interesting sort of dynamic there where he wasn't making fun of her for being transgender. He was actually kind of making fun of her for being a bad woman driver, playing that old trope on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean, is it something that you ever crosses your mind? That you have to be careful out there, or is that not part of the New Zealand scene so much? Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Like, I think there's certain things across my mind. Like, is this a bit dodgy? Because, mm. yeah, we're doing comedy and you want the audience to come back and like you and, yeah, and come back and watch. And that's probably because you're new as well. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're massive, you don't give a shit. Because if you're selling out anyway, you don't yeah. give a shit. Like, like Dave, Ricky, Dave Ricky. Chappelle's really interesting. Dave Chappelle, have you seen any of his stand ups on Netflix at the moment? A few of them, though. Dave Chappelle's really, really worth watching because he left. He left the comedy scene for 10 years sure. and just went, I'm out. Um, and he tells a few stories from on stage and he says he has a policy and everyone laughs, but he's telling the truth. He goes, he has a policy that he never feels bad for anything he says on stage. And what he's saying is, as a comedian, I can't feel bad for anything I say on stage. But then again, you know, he just got $60 million from Netflix for three specials. So he has the ability to do that. That's like I always find people who go, um, oh, you know, like musicians, I never do this for the awards, but they've got like eight Grammys. Yeah. So it's easier to say I've never done this for the awards <laughs> and they've got a bunch of awards. If you have no awards, you might – it's it might be a different the, tune. It's the famous rich people who say that money and, and fame. Oh, man, money doesn't matter. Money doesn't buy you happiness. No. There's a person with a billion dollars. Yeah, and the jet ski. <laughs> and the who jet was that? That's <laughs> Daniel Tosh. Tosh 2.0. Yeah, that's Daniel Tosh. He's got, a, he's got a set where he talks about how that's a lie. Money, that's more stand-up comedians. Money won't buy you happiness. He goes, have you seen a jet ski? <laughs> he goes, have you ever seen anyone on a jet ski not be happy? 
I'm sorry, it's not good to pe- do people stand up. It ruins it. But I, I watch a lot of it. Um, is, is that vibe coming through the clubs and scenes in New Zealand? Do you have to worry about it? Could you literally joke about anything on stage and not make headlines? Or um, well, I want to say uh, no, but at the same time, like I think lots of comedians have to watch about what they said, like depending how new you are. Like I know I'm very careful about what I say, but someone like Brendan Lovegrove or Ben Hurley or yep. someone like that. Yep. Probably got a little bit more leeway because yep. you know they've been doing it for longer than I have, and they're used to writing. And if they lose ten percent of the audience, they still sell out a venue anyway. Yeah, yeah, but I think even then, like you know, I think like most comedians are pretty conscious to what towards what they say. Yeah, yeah, because even then, like you know, like they're still not like Ricky Gervais or anything. Yeah, <coughs> yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I wonder what's happened. I mean, I remember. Um, What's his name? Gore, the ex-vice president, Al Gore, talking to John Stewart when John Stewart used to do the Daily Show before Trevor Noah. Yeah. And John Stewart was making the point to Al Gore, why is it that we're the only people saying these things? Meaning, you know, in the political realm, he was a political commentator primarily, that's where his comedy was. Why do we say all these things that are true and accurate? And like the news channels won't say it. And Al Gore said to him, because the jester was the only person that could tell the king the truth. Yeah. So the jester in the you know in the court was the only person that could go up to the king and tell him the truth without fear of having his head cut off. So there's a there is a um, responsibility there, I guess, that comedy, some comedians, especially maybe ones who have social comedy, or maybe what you do as well with mental health and stuff, have the ability to cut through and tell truth that other people can't, don't, or won't. Yeah, I know, like, because when I do my show and stuff, or when I do a set, like, some people have really, like, they want to laugh, but they don't want to laugh. And so, like, during my show, I kind of have to reassure people and, like, at the start, kind of encourage them to laugh, which yeah. is why I try and get an opening act and I try and come up with energy at the start. And then some people are like, oh, it's a comedy show. And then I'm like, hey, look, guys, you know, feel free to laugh at it. And, <laughs> I can even do a gag at the start where I hand out tissue papers to the crowd. So they can cry? <laughs> I, I, I hinted that. Also, like, also they can like whack one out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hinted that. You have to see the show. <laughs> if, they, if they really, really like you, you might need these tissues. Yeah, yeah, Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. You might laugh, cry. <laughs> so um, what's happening over the weekend? I mean, people who happen to be watching this live stream and obviously majority of people pick us up afterwards, but you're uh, – it's – what day is it? It's Friday yeah. today. It's my show's today. Yeah. So your show's tonight yeah. in Dunedin? Yeah. When, where? Uh, D's Cafe, 8 o'clock. D's Cafe. Is there a cover charge? Is there a Koha? What is uh, it? 10 bucks. There's Ten a show bucks. on after mine as well, which is Koha. So. Yep. Yeah, two a shows. Sh- How do you do that? How do you have a show on after that's Koha? Because that means once they're already sitting in there and they pay their 10 bucks, what happens then? <laughs> <laughs> well, they pay 10 bucks for my show. Yep. Oh, well, then they kick up. them all out. Yeah, so we'll kick them all out and I'll come back down and watch it or just Wait, stay so, by. Sorry to sound like a moron being in being someone who lives in Dunedin, but these cafe and venue, just having a look, 403 Princess Street, that's just, just past the octagon. That's, that's close to you guys. It's like across the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're chipmunks. Yeah. yeah. We're chipmunks. <laughs> so drop your kids at chipmunks and um, go and <laughs> well, check out. We'll break into them. <laughs> they follow me on Instagram. So, And this is going to be the search for happiness? Yeah, search for happiness. I mean, Do you ever see what people like uh, Sir John Kerwin are doing and think, good work for 
mental health. Oh, absolutely. Even Mike King, like, I think they're doing pretty well. Like, I think it's something I want to do. Even um, Corey Gonzalez McCure, mm-hmm. hope I said his name right. Um, like, he's do, he's got a show now about about it, and like, I think he's doing pretty amazing work. Yeah, like, and he's coming out and talking about it. And it's an interesting thing, the mental health thing, because I've certainly been through some downtimes and had to go to doctors and and get help with some uh, serotonin uppers in the last couple of years and you know I've never said this publicly or many people don't know this but um, going through my marriage breakup and stuff there was suicidal ideations there um, and it's it's it, you, once you've experienced it you can kind of go oh I see how easy it is for anyone to fall into this so talking about it more and having it more out there and having people um and not be stigmatized as badly. Yeah, it's about breaking the stigma. Like, yeah, I hope people like they go to my show, go away talking about it, or even like even males, like, especially males, because like males have the highest like suicide rate in New Zealand, and you know, I think that's because males are less inclined to go. Like, like I don't know if you've experienced this, but. You know, like males less inclined to talk about their problems. You know, like we go to a pub and we're like, Surely "Oh, have you right. seen the rugby lately?" Yeah, right. I think right. that, um, and and I've probably said this on this podcast before, but I think that everyone should be in counselling. Oh, absolutely. And I think that for a very long time, me included, you look at the American system, you how everyone's in therapy, more than therapy, and you kind of roll your eyes and laugh at them. But I think now the the example that I often use is as uh, a game of rugby. And our life, our life is the rugby field, right? And all the players on the field are a part of our life. And when you're in that front row and you're down head to head, you don't know what the fullback's doing. No. You can't see it. You can only see what's in front of you. But someone who's in the stands, they can see the whole game. Exactly. They can see all of your life. So my counsellor, my therapist, I consider that someone who's in the stand watching my life and there's times where I don't know what the fullback's doing, but him sitting on the outside looking in can see it. Yeah. And I think it's nothing but healthy. I think even if you're feeling amazing and good, you know, having someone, be it a trusted friend, you know, a, a, a church member, a therapist, a counsellor or whatever, to talk to about your life can do nothing but positive things. I absolutely. I totally agree with that. Like, my counsellor helped me so much and – Looking back, like when I was a teenager, I really wish I talked to my counselor more rather than just, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to talk about this. Mm. Yeah. Like, I'm just here because my parents paid money to, for me to come here. Mm. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I kind of wish I talked about stuff sooner. Do you still see someone now? Uh, not really. But I know that if I do get down that mm-hmm. dark path again, there's someone out there that I can talk to. Yeah. We should have probably organised this before, Jace. Maybe you can find something super quick. But, you know, if people are suffering from depression, if they're depressed right now, if they want help, if they want to go somewhere, do you know anyone anywhere? You know, like you've seen the paper, uh, people having suicidal thoughts, they you know, can call this number sort of thing. Do you yeah, do you know of anywhere that people can be directed to? If they happen to be listening and they think, oh, well. There's one There's one New Zealand um, mental health people have done some great ones. There's like this um, great one, uh, depression.org, where you can go and there's – um, there's some great ones just understanding it and there's also from what I remember looking at it once um, the they actually do 
break it out in different things. I think I can't remember what it is, but there's yeah, obviously there's the John Kerr, but then there's also another one I think you can click on which goes and it has people from like it's like Jang Yi, and so it's more focused for teenagers and young people. So it's got people that they were relate right. to talking to them as well. So if people are listening and not watching, it's depression.org, and the phone number is 0800 777, or you can text 4202. It's also Lifeline. Lifeline? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. joke about that on my show. <laughs> not, that I, uh, not that I, you know, not that we've come here officially to pass on the information, but if people are listening and they are thinking anything, um, yeah. Depression.org. Scroll back down, Jay, so I can see the number again. 0800 and the text is 4202. Nathan Headley, I think we've come to a nice natural yeah. end here. So 8 o'clock tonight, D's Cafe, Princess Street, yeah. if people happen to be yeah. watching live. Add me off, like my Facebook page. Message me if you feel down as well. I'm happy to talk. Nice. I Nathan. think Mike King does something similar. So. Very cool. Hey, thanks for coming in. Thank you, buddy. Alrighty guys, uh, there's another one for you in the bag, number 30 of the Department of Conversation. Just a reminder again, um, if anything came up for you during that chat, or you know, maybe in the future you think, gosh, I'm feeling a bit down, what can I do? That website again was depression.org.nz, depression.org.nz, and uh, they've got a cool service there where you can text um, sort of counsellors and experts, so if you just text directly to 4202, or call 0800 757. So that's 0800, it's like the police and then uh, like an airline. 757 a plane? It is, isn't it? Oh, okay, it's not a plane. A pretend plane. 0800 757. 757 feels like a plane. No? 747. Oh, that's probably why. All right, all right, all right. 0800 757. All right, thanks for joining us again, guys. Um, now, remember, uh, we are trying to build and grow. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please feel free to share us around. Uh, if this particular podcast to do with mental health um, is something that sparks some interest in you, or if you know someone who you think might enjoy it, please share it because we do want to grow and uh, you know uh, and, and continue to build as we've been building so far. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash D-E-P-T of conversation. You can follow us on YouTube, just I guess search for us on YouTube, Department of Conversation and we are on iTunes Spotify and Stitcher with the audio content. So millions of places, well five, places to find us and uh, yeah, feel free to be a part of the team and share us around and help us grow as we continue to do this choice, choice, choice fun thing we do at the Department of Conversation. Alright, I'm rambling so I'm going to go now. Hooroo!